I just remember looking back and this pile of dirty, dusty stuff piled up in my driveway. I'd spent all morning taking care of and knowing full well that my possessions weren't bringing happiness into my life. Welcome to another edition of the Seed Time Living Podcast. I am Bob Lodick, your host. I am so glad to have you here. And this is a show where we help you make more, save more, and give more away. And that is based off of a John Wesley quote that has just had a deep impact on my life. So you'll probably see that around as you're around the site and things that we're doing. And I'm really excited about today's episode because I get to bring you in on an interview I did with Joshua Becker, and he's one of the leading voices in kind of the minimalism movement. And before you hit stop on your smartphone and move on to the next podcast, just bear with me a little bit. So his minimalistic approach towards possessions is not one where you only have just a fork and a knife or where you have just completely stark white walls and no furniture. That's not his approach. He takes a much more rational approach. And I think it's just a lot more relatable and realistic for a lot more people. And the thing I have found as I've kind of moved in this direction is a tremendous amount of mental clarity that comes from getting rid of stuff that isn't necessary. And there's a freedom, there's like a weight lifted off. There's just all these unexpected benefits. And so that's why I'm really excited to to share this interview with you and to bring you in on this conversation that Joshua and I had. Just this short conversation I had with him had a deep impact on me. And so I'm really excited to bring you in. So without any further ado, let's just dive right in. I am excited to have Joshua Becker on the show today. He is kind of my hero when it comes to minimalism. And he's written a handful of books. He's got a killer blog uh, that has a huge engaged audience over there. He's becoming a pretty good friend of mine. And I'm just really excited to have him on because I think he has a lot of really good insight to offer as far as this idea of minimalism. And I hope we can kind of dispel some of the myths or at least some of the things that I thought, uh, maybe the negative connotations I had going into it. And anyway, without any further ado, Joshua, glad to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I uh, look forward to the conversation. It, I, it's weird having the video on. I don't, I don't know how to react when you're given the introduction. Am I supposed <laughs> to act flattered or roll my eyes like you're making it all up? I don't know, but this will be fun. Well, I think you did fine. I think you did good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so anyway, so let's start with where you normally start. Tell people your story and kind of how you got roped into this, because I assume you, you know, at some point in your life, we're living this clutter-filled, possession-filled American life that many of us do, and how you went from there to kind of where you are now. Yeah, I grew up and have always lived very middle class. Never missed a meal, you know, was never in in need in that way, but also never living extravagant. Always just pretty, I don't know, suburban American lifestyle is probably the the best way to say it. And despite having all my needs met, I, I usually say that there were kind of these two streams of discontent. I was always a little discontented with my money. Not just that I was always living paycheck to paycheck, despite getting pay increases, like just yeah. shocking how we make more money, but it never seems to be there <laughs> at the end of the month, right? It works. So paycheck to paycheck. And then where I was spending my money or better, who I was spending my money on. I think I always had a a desire for generosity. I, I grew up, I even pastored for years. And so I always grew up kind of having this mindset that I'd, I'd love to help people, yeah. but could just never find the margin or the yeah. or the space to do it. So always discontent with my money. And then I was 
also discontented with, I just say the, the focus of my life's energy is, is probably the, the best way to say it. And this came out on a Saturday morning. We were doing what most Americans do on the weekend, clean the house, you know, run some errands, do some shopping. Spring cleaning, we were a little in Vermont. I went out to clean the garage with my five-year-old son, thinking we'd just pull everything out, pile it up in the driveway, hose it all down, and then you know, get, on, get on with our lives, right? Like, like yeah. we do as Americans. Uh, well, my five-year-old obviously didn't want to help me with the garage, and so he went to the backyard to play, and he's asking me like every 20 or 30 minutes to come play with him. And I'm always pushing him off. I can't, I can't. I got I to gotta do my project. This is what we do. My neighbor kind of notices this whole thing taking place, and we have a short conversation just about owning homes and how much time and effort goes into it. And she returned with the sentence where she said, you know, that's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And I had never heard the term minimalist before, but I just remember looking back and this pile of dirty, dusty stuff piled up in my driveway. I'd spent all morning taking care of and knowing full well that my possessions weren't bringing happiness into my life. We'd all admit that, of course. But beyond that, as I noticed this pile of things, and then I noticed my five-year-old son, who'd been alone in the backyard all morning, just this realization that everything we owned wasn't only not making me happy, but it was actually distracting me from the very things that that do bring happiness and joy and purpose and fulfillment yeah. into our lives. And so, which is a very different realization. And um, it was the one that, that just spurred me on to say, I, I don't know why I own all this stuff, why I've spent my whole life chasing, accumulating this stuff that's actually probably just taking me away from the things that really make me happy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think most people can resonate with that and can understand that. The thing that scared me kind of... It, when I read my first book on minimalism, man, as I read a few more, I started to get a better understanding of particularly you as, and your approach with it. It's less scary than what I always thought it was, like where every house is like a museum and there's literally one fork and one knife and one plate. And, and just all this stuff where it's like, who wants to live like that? I don't want to do that. So anyway, I say all that because your approach, um, what you call rational minimalism, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. can you explain a little bit of that and how maybe it makes it less scary than some people think it should be? Yeah, sure. Because the first thing I did was I went to the computer and searched what is minimalism. And and up pops all these people online who were who were living a minimalist life, they called it. And I met a guy named Colin who lived out of a backpack and moved every four months to a different country. And I met Dave Bruno in San Diego who owned just 100 things. And that was his number. He wasn't owning any more or any less. I uh, met Tammy and Logan Strobel in Portland who moved into like a 250 square foot home. And and it was very interesting because I, I could see how my possessions were weighing me down, you know, distracting me from from bigger and better things that my life could be about. But I didn't want to move every four months. I want to live in a 200 square foot home. We had groups meeting in our house, you know, two yeah. or three groups a, a week. I didn't want a sheet of paper with everything I had listed on it. And so I think we just realized very early on that the minimalism for us was going to look different than minimalism for anyone else. And yeah. And it should because I have different values than any of them. My, yeah. you know, traveling the world isn't an important value to me, but being hospitable is. And so eventually we defined it like this. Minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it. 
Yeah. And so in that way, it's what do I want to accomplish with my life? What tools and possessions do I need to help me do that? And then what is the, all the other stuff that I've just unintentionally held on to that's actually just sucking time and energy away from doing the things that really bring fulfillment into my life? So in that way, it's very freeing, you know, to people. And I didn't use the word rational minimalism, but someone left a comment on the blog one time and said, I really like your minimalism. It sounds so rational. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm like, that's yeah, that's a probably a pretty good term. You know, it's a very thoughtful approach to yeah. what do I want my life to be about? So what do I need to keep and what can I get rid of so I can do more of that? Yeah. And that just feels good to me. You know, so as we were going through this process, Linda and I, I don't know, probably about nine months ago, a year ago, we kind of kind of dove in headlong with this and really made a purge and got rid of a whole lot of stuff. I was floored at how much clearer my head was. Like, I think that was just one of the big things for me. And and, and honestly, the, the simplicity of my closet. So I went from probably 30-something pairs of shoes. I, I like shoes, but I, there's no reason for me to have a pair of the shoes. And, you know, and cut that down probably 70, 80%. Um, and I did the same thing with my shirts and pants and just really <coughs> simplified everything I had going on. And it just feels so good. It's like, I only have things I love now. It really, really feels good. But as we were going through this process of, you know, just getting rid of our stuff and, you know, there's those inevitable kind of uh, forks in the road where you have this object and it's like, but I don't want to get rid of it. And, and so you have to ask yourself, well, why are you keeping it? Can you replace it if you need to? I found that we had a lot of those little forks in the road, but even if... I'm trying to think. I mean, and, and I guess you should answer this, but what, what do you think the best way to approach those things are when you have those objects where it's like you can't really decide if you should get rid of it? Yeah. Obviously, it's all case by case on some of those things. You know, it's yeah. tough to, to lump anything yeah, into, into one big deal. There's a number of factors, I think. Dave Bruno, who ended up writing a, a book about the 100 Thing Challenge, you yeah. know, the list. He had an interesting subtext in his book, The 100 Thing Challenge, Reduce, Reuse, Rejigger. And he talked about when he got down to 100 things, that one of the surprising things that he discovered mm-hmm. was that he could actually get by pretty well with the things that he had because he, he discovered new ways to solve problems. Yeah. And he discovered that that he really could get by with less stuff than he ever thought. Uh, Maya Angelou says it so well. She says, we need so much less than we think we need. Mm-hmm. And we're just never forced to to kind of solve those problems on our own when we keep holding on to things. And like the other thought that I try to help people think through is that we we don't usually realize the emotional anxiety, maybe the the physical distraction that that all these things are in our home. And so we think, oh, gosh, it would cost me so much money to go replace, you know, whatever it might be. But we don't even realize how we walk past that item a thousand times a year sitting on our workbench. You know, I'm thinking of some tool that, yeah. you know, yeah. like it distracts us every single time we we walk by it. And we just rarely count that, count the cost of what it is to actually hold on to something you know, someone sent me an email one time and, and she's like, okay, so what's the big deal if I have an extra set of China in my basement? <laughs> and I wrote, and I said, hmm, that's a good question. And I wrote back and I said, if you just had one extra set of China in your basement, then it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. But the problem is no one has just one extra set of China in their basement. We have 
boxes and boxes of things and we've held on to this and we've held on to that and it just becomes very cumbersome and very distracting for anything else that we want to do and can't accomplish with our lives. So being a pastor, I'm curious what you have found in the Bible. And I mean, there's a few obvious kind of references to this type of living, but how have you reconciled everything or how has what you found in the Bible kind of motivated you one way or another with all this? You know what it's done, uh, probably, and I can list some of the specific examples that mean a lot to me, but more than that, you know what it's done is it's totally changed my view of everything that Jesus said about money and possessions. Because I used to read anything that Jesus would say about possession. You know, if you have two tunics, give one to the poor. You know, don't stockpile treasures here on earth. Woe to you who are rich. You know, the the rich young ruler walks away. Like all these things, and I I would read them, and you know what I thought? I would say, man, Jesus wants me to live a really crummy life. <laughs> like, like, Jesus, like Jesus is calling me to give up everything that is fun and just live this, this boring, destitute life so that I can help the poor. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get rewards in heaven at the end. Yeah. And that's the trade-off. But as we started owning less stuff on purpose and as we got rid of things that we didn't need and stopped buying new things and suddenly found out that we had more time, we had more energy, we had more freedom, we had less stress, less worry. We were a better example for our kids. We found greater contentment and generosity and gratitude. Like we found all these life-giving benefits of owning less. And suddenly everything that Jesus said wasn't about calling me to sacrifice now for the sake of him, but it was just an invitation to a better way to live like he knew like he knew what he was talking about (laughs) go figure go figure right (laughs) which uh which i guess is like everything else he says you know don't steal and don't commit adultery and don't be dishonest well come because those are pretty miserable ways to live your life when you get down to it and so he says don't stockpile treasures here on earth how come well because there's actually a better way to live and so it's not the American dream. It's like it's Jesus' dream. Go, yeah. You know, I, we kind of yeah. confuse the two, and you know, I, I referenced some of them, but suddenly it was, hey, he was actually just giving me instruction on a better way to live life than the world tells me I should live it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I feel like I've done the same thing. I haven't seen it in that light, but it, you know, it's like the deeper you go in the Bible, and the more you learn about any principle, it's it seems like there's always these positive side effects that God has for the things that he does. You know what I mean? And, and I feel like that's just a perfect example. I mean, regardless of what the main motivation was, um, if the, the main motivation is to give more so you can help the poor, well, the side effect is you benefit from this. Or if, you know, the focus is here, I want to help you by giving rid of your stuff. And the benefit is you're helping other people who are giving away, you know? So regardless of what it is, it's like, I just love that. Uh, when you see those things, <laughs> when you follow those biblical kind of principles and guidelines and just to get to see all these wonderful side effects, you know, because most yeah. things have negative side effects. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Luke chapter three is this very fascinating passage where John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus mm-hmm. and the Israelites come to him and they say, okay, what should we do to get ready for this Messiah that you're promising? What do we have to do to get ready for the kingdom of heaven? 
And John the Baptist tells the people, he says, if you have two coats, give one to the man who has none. If you have food, do the same. He tells the tax collectors, don't collect any more money than you're required to. Yeah. And then he tells the soldiers, be content with your pay. Don't accuse people falsely and don't, don't extort money. And it's very interesting, as you mentioned, what the side effects are for us personally of some of these things, because I would read that and I would think, number one, that'd be pretty hard, you know, but, but number two, okay, I see how the poor would benefit from me sharing with mm-hmm. them, but this wasn't about how do I help the poor? This was how do I prepare my heart yeah. for Christ? That's good. And John says, get rid of the stuff that you don't need. How come? Because number one, we find out that it's pretty hard to get rid of the stuff that we don't need, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that it actually is very difficult. And suddenly we discover that maybe we are a little more tied to the world than we ever thought. Maybe we do love the world a little bit more than we ever would have said that we did. Yeah. And then we start to realize, I just think all the the lies that we've that we bought into, like why do we have more TVs in our house than people living in it, right? Yeah. Why, why do we have basements full of things and garages full of stuff? Why did we buy a bunch of things that we didn't need in the first place? And then I think we started to realize that we're a little more susceptible to the world's lies and we actually believe it a far more than we ever, far more than we ever realized we did. Yeah, and the thing that stands out from what you just said about preparing your hearts for Jesus to come then, it's like, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the second coming and and I feel like, the church as a whole is becoming more and more distracted. And, and even if it's not from things per se, which it, it surely is, it's there's just so many distractions, you know? And, and that kind of leads into maybe this whole other idea of information diets, you know, thinking a little more minimalistically as far as what we're consuming and the constant entertaining of ourselves that I think so many of us naturally tend to, you know, with Facebook and Pinterest and whatever. I mean, Hulu and Netflix, it's like, just watch stuff and be entertained nonstop long and never have a minute just to sit and to think, you know, or let alone get alone and pray, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's uh, that's pretty intriguing. The solitude is very difficult. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is hard to be quiet, not, not just because we're so stimulated and so used to being stimulated. It's just difficult because we were forced to sit in who we are a little bit. I had a college class and a part of the assignment was we had to spend two one-hour blocks each week in total silence. We we couldn't bring a Bible to read. We couldn't bring a prayer list or worship music. And you just had to just sit quietly for an hour and then we had to record our thoughts. It ended up being one of the most heightened seasons of spiritual growth in my life. Wow. But it was it was incredibly difficult because when you do that, you you start to realize, I think, the depravity of our hearts, right? Like you start to look at your life and some of the things that have motivated you and some of the things that you said and and why you said them and what some of these things are that, number one, that we need Jesus for. But, you know, just I think it's just far easier to put on a television show when things get hard rather than yeah. being forced to to sit in, you know, why do I feel this way? And and what is yeah. motivating me in, in most of my life? Yeah, and kind of <laughs> wrestling through and going through some of those things that maybe need to be gone through rather than just burying them. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> We're getting pretty deep here. Anyway, yeah, I'll say, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're going to be uh, psychiatrists when we're done with yeah, all this. Sorry, but... <laughs> no, I, I, I let us down there. It's not a bad thing. I mean, this is, this is important stuff. I mean, yeah, these are, these are just really important things. So I, I'm, I'm glad we're chatting about it. And it is related to this conversation. Yeah. I mean, it is related to, to minimalism. And as we began getting rid of things, I remember commenting to my friend one time just how, how emotionally difficult it was. Not that I was attached to things, but just the thought process of, you know, that thing mm-hmm. that you talk about that, do I keep it? Do I get rid of? Why is this so difficult? And he wrote back, he made a comment very wisely. He said, it seems to me that minimalism would force questions of value on yeah. your life. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it, yeah. as you're going through your house, you're forced to ask, okay, what do I want my life to be about? And what is it going to be? And this process just spurs intentionality in, in all areas of life that yeah. we, I just don't think we discover anywhere else. Yeah, very well said. I agree. So here's the thing. So this is intimidating to a lot of people. I mean, you know, I know it was a little bit for me. It really was for Linda, my wife, people I talk to, because I, in a little bit of a way, I'm becoming a little bit of an evangelist for uh, minimalism as a whole. Like some of my friends who are who have seen what we're doing, like, what's the deal? <laughs> why, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's forcing me to have to have a little bit of an explanation of why and defend it to an extent. All that to say, <clears throat> what are some good kind of practical first steps that you typically recommend for somebody who just wants to test the waters yeah. and see? Yeah, that's good. Well, number one, very few people disagree with me. Like when they first hear minimalism, like, oh, I don't want any of that. But when you get into the description of what I'm talking about yeah. and, and how it benefits, I, most people think, oh, yeah, you're right. I need to, you know, do something. Yeah. The problem is most minds rush to like the hardest thing in their life that they'd ever mm-hmm. have to get rid of, right? Oh, I love books. I could never get rid of my books. I could never get rid of my yarn you know i i love <laughs> i love shoes i can never get rid of shoes yeah. right like they like they always rush to the hardest thing and so i always say don't like you don't start at the hardest thing in your house to get rid of start with the very easy things and so literally i started in my car we had mm-hmm. pulled the cars out of the garage to clean it and as i pulled the car in i'm just looking around and there's just a whole bunch of stuff in the car that didn't need to be there like yeah Happy Meal toys and <laughs> CDs that no one listened to and ketchup packets yeah. and sunglasses and maps and like all these things that just didn't even need to be there. And so I just grabbed it all and, you know, I put it to the side. And the next morning I sat in my car and it felt so freeing, like just so refreshing that there yeah. wasn't all this clutter around me. And I say if you if you want to get started, like start in an easy livable area i mean grab a lived-in area grab a bag grab a box and just grab everything that that you don't even want there that you don't even want in your house anymore and then just sit in that for a little while and and see if you like it better I i think most most people will and then you know you try another area of the house you try the bedroom the closet you try to get rid of some clothes you try to get rid of some 
old souvenir cups in the cover that don't need to be there. You know, I I think as you gain momentum, you're kind of noticing how this is improving your life and it gives you momentum. So when you get to the books or when you get to the yarn, when you get to the shoes, yeah, you have a little momentum behind you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, literally I, I would, I would just say go, you know, go in your living room, grab everything that you don't even want in your living room anymore and, and see how it feels and then go try another room um, that would be easy to, to tackle. Yeah, and that's what we did. We just went room by room. The really surprising thing for me was that I, I still, I still, you know, almost nine months a year in, I don't know, remember exactly what it is, but I still get a thrill whenever I realize, oh, I don't need that. I can get rid of that. <laughs> I it gets me excited, and uh, and especially because um, so a lot of the stuff we've given to Goodwill, but a lot of it we've sold on Craigslist or eBay. And like I wrote that post uh, six months ago or whenever, um, I made over two thousand dollars in a month just selling a lot of the stuff on Craigslist. You know, so you can actually put some more money back in your pocket. You know, if you need it, or you can bless the heck out of your neighbors or people at Goodwill or other charities. So, anyways. Obviously, I'm sold. (laughs) Okay, so I want to, for people who want to get a little bit more kind of motivation to do this and maybe find out a little bit more information, and this is what worked for Linda. So I read a couple books, and then I kind of explained it to her, and she's like, eh. I'm like, just read this book. And then she read, I don't remember if she read one of your books first or somebody else, I don't recall. But as soon as she read that book, she was like sold. And then she like kind of started waning a little bit after a few months. And then she read another book and then she was like committed. <laughs> so there's yeah. something about, I think, reading and diving deeper into the subject a little bit. And thankfully, you have a whole bunch of books. Is there one that you would point a beginner to at this point? Yeah, I would send them to the book Simplify. It's just digital, two ninety nine, um, Kindle, Nook. They're available there. PDF's available. It's very short and it, it reads very quickly. I mean, I, I think you can read in 45, 60 minutes. That's and it, it just makes the case for minimalism. It's not going to say, you know, here's what socks to keep and here's what <laughs> socks to get rid of, right? But it, it gives the overall idea of it. And I, and I think people find it very find it very motivating. Yeah. Uh, if you have kids, clutter-free with kids is a good overlap. If you have kids and worried about that part, I'd, I'd read Clutter Free with Kids. If, if you don't have kids, I'd just read the book Simplify. I don't think anyone needs to read both of them. There's a lot of overlap between them. So that's where I would, that's where I would send people. And I, I would agree that I, I don't think I would be where I am today if I wasn't writing about this all the time. And so I was always thinking about it and, and always yeah. noticing kind of consumerism around me and how it was affecting me. And that's what propelled me forward. And for becoming minimalist, I mean, I, I write a lot just about owning less and the benefits of it. And I just keep going back to it. And like, we just need to hear that. We see like 5,000 advertisements a day that tell us to buy more and, and buy whatever they're selling. And wow. we bought into that in the first place. So we, you know, we need a voice somewhere and there's other people writing about it. You know, if, yeah. if a different blog resonates better with someone, then they should be reading that. But just to be, to be constantly kind of rechecking and reevaluating what yeah. we're doing. Well, that's good. All right, man. Well, it was good chatting. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah. And I appreciate all your wisdom and insight. Yeah. Well, words anyway. Hopefully there's some wisdom in there. Oh, no, this was, uh, this is fun. It was a good conversation. All right. Take care. You bet. 
All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And feel free to stop by over at Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or the website at Seed Time on all of them except for Facebook. That one's at Seed Time Blog. And definitely come say hi and let me know what you think. Let me know if you have any podcast episodes you would like us to do. We've actually gotten a whole bunch of suggestions from a lot of you, and I have a big list of them now, and we're just going to kind of check them off one at a time. But definitely don't be a stranger. Definitely reach out. I would love to hear from you and hear what you're liking, what you're not liking, and uh, it would be a big blessing to me. So hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I will see you soon. Mm -hmm.